Okay, hello everyone and welcome to Access Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bring you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, January 17th, marks our 88th program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialist, and I'm your host for today's program, Toxic Encephalopathy Q&A. I'm joined by my familiar co-host, uh, Sharm Brody, at the left of your screen there. Uh, just brief background, Sharm is a CDI education specialist with us here at Actus and serves as a full-time instructor for our CDI boot camps as well as a subject matter expert. She has nine years of CDI experience, which includes consulting um, and has also implemented and overseen a CDI department in a small community hospital and helped with the revitalization of CDI at another facility. And I'd like to welcome her to the show and welcome Charm. Good morning, Brian. All right, great to have you. Great to have you. And next, I'd like to introduce, yeah, glad to have you on. Um, let's talk about our industry guest next, a familiar face to Actus Radio. Been a little bit since we've had him on. Um, and of course, is Jim Kennedy. Uh, Dr. Kennedy is president of CDIMD Physician Champions, a Nashville-based group of physicians, coders, and clinicians engaged nationwide as CDI physician advisors, ICD-10 medical informaticists, and DRG and HCC compliance advocates. Uh, Dr. Kennedy has an extensive background in CDI. You probably have seen him speak at our annual conference in fact, he's going to be speaking again at our annual conference this May on Coding Clinic. I'm glad to have him back. He's previously served on our Actus Advisory Board. He also is the lead instructor for our Actus um, Physician Advisors role in CDI Boot Camp. And I'm glad to have him on the show on this complex and important topic. So thank you, Dr. Kennedy. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. All right. Well, as we always do with Actus Radio, we're going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. I'll ask you to review, select the option that best pertains to your facility or practice, and uh, we'll come back to that in just a few moments. So the poll reads, what is your facility's biggest problem regarding encephalopathy? Is it physicians not documenting its presence or its specificity? Maybe it's a lack of a consensus definition, the various types, and the resulting disagreement there. Uh, determining whether its manifestations are integral to the disease process or not. Uh, maybe it's the coding side, particularly disagreements on code assignments or sequencing. Or maybe you're fortunate that you don't have any issues with this diagnosis. So again, your biggest problem, is it physician lack of specificity, lack of consensus definitions, um, determining whether its manifestations are integral, is it uh, dis disagreements on code assignments, or maybe you don't have any issues? All right, I'm going to give people one more minute here. I see the getting pretty stable results, but we'll wait one more moment. Um, I will say that we did a show a little bit of a, speaking of specificity, a little more nonspecific encephalopathy show back in July of 2016. So we asked the same poll, and I'm going to be interested to see when these poll results are done, how they compare to our 2016 poll, but we will again come back uh, 
to that in just a few minutes. All right, I'm going to go ahead and close that up. All right, as I mentioned, um, our guest today is Dr. James Kennedy. Um, Dr. Kennedy, thanks for being on the program and being a part of Access Radio. Um, and maybe I'll just start by talking about briefly how the, the topic came up and we'll get right into it because our time is limited. You know, regular listeners of Actus Radio know that I ask for your questions and show ideas at the end of every program, kind of a broken record. But this show was the result of a detailed multi-part question I received back in December. And um, I thought I would address it on this on today's show. So let me know what you think. Um, we're going to jump right into the question. And Dr. Kennedy has been nice to prepare some slides for us, which I'll be sharing as well. But let's, um, let me jump right in. So the, the question is, I would love to hear this person wrote, listener, I'd love to hear a session about encephalopathy, especially as it differs from drug-induced delirium. She writes, I am seeing more pair denial letters that argue a toxic encephalopathy due to a drug should not code to G92, but should code to the F11 to F F19 section of the code book even when my doctor is clearly documenting toxic encephalopathy as an adverse effect of the drug. For instance, she writes, I had an account where the patient's MSSR was increased from 30 to 45 milligrams uh, two times a day. Patient developed altered mentation, somnolence, um, myoclonus of arm and legs, CT was negative, morphine was stopped and reduced back to 30 milligrams with resolution of symptoms. Doctor clearly documented toxic encephalopathy throughout the chart, but the payer audit keeps insisting that there are accommodation codes that describe various effects of drug use. So the payer recommended F10 to F19 code series as appropriate. Are they correct? I don't think so. How do I fight this with clinical information? So a lot there, complex scenario, uh, and some payer issues here that we're going to address a little bit. So. Dr. Kennedy, why don't I turn it over to you and we can certainly work through some slides if you'd like. Well, uh, Brian, this uh, common problem, uh, coding is based on provider documentation only. Uh, this was well established in Coding Clinic, fourth quarter 2016, pages 147 to 149, and also reiterated in Coding Clinic, fourth quarter, 2017, page 110, where the coder does not have the option to uh, omit a code just because they don't think the patient does or doesn't have a condition. So in, in trying to address this, if you could go to the next slide, uh, we want to just describe you know, the aspects of the altered mental status. Uh, and what I'm showing you is an algorithm that I use in pretty much classifying every condition. Uh, uh, every condition has a manifestation, an underlying cause, severity, specificity, an instigating cause, something that makes it worse, and consequences. And so with an altered mental status, dementia, delirium, psychosis, vegetative state, a number of things. Uh, are the different types of altered mental status. And that's a manifestation of an underlying brain disease. Uh, so uh, the U would be the various encephalopathies or even stroke, uh, Alzheimer's disease, cerebral edema, encephalitis. And so my belief is that 
for complete documentation and complete coding. We need to, the doctor, we should describe and code the manifestation, its underlying cause, various specificities, uh, instigating causes and consequences. And to the extent that we can get that is in our best interest. So go to the next slide. Uh, one of the things that I do want to emphasize is that there is a definition of delirium. And this is straight from the DSM-5. Uh, it's just a disturbance in attention or awareness uh, and, and, and perhaps some, um, it occurs during a short period of time and tends to fluctuate. Uh, there's also uh, additional disturbances in cognition you know, that can be present that is not explained by a pre-existing established or evolving neurocognitive disorder. So you can't say that somebody who has Alzheimer's disease that's stable has a delirium, but they can certainly have one that's superimposed uh, upon their Alzheimer's disease uh, as described in E, that is, it is the direct physiologic consequence of another medical condition, substance intoxication or withdrawal. So if this is properly defined, properly diagnosed, properly documented, next slide, we want to be able to assign coding principles uh, to this. And we do need to recognize that there is a manifestation of the delirium but what the DSM-5 does not do is it doesn't go through the underlying cause. And that underlying cause is the term encephalopathy. Just like weakness would be the manifestation of a myopathy, or proteinuria can be the manifestation of a nephropathy, the delirium is the manifestation of a diffuse brain disease that alters brain function or structure. And that's the definition of encephalopathy. To the extent that we get this in a very specific manner is, is what we would want to do. So going to the next slide, uh, there are definitions of encephalopathy, I mean, of delirium and encephalopathy. It is my personal opinion that the term delirium is a manifestation. The encephalopathy is the underlying cause. And certainly, if the patient has a named brain disease, the term encephalopathy is integral to that, but, but different types of encephalopathies can overlay a patient's chronic named brain disease. So next slide. Uh, let's look at some of the, uh, for me personally, looking at some of the coding aspects of this, the doctor documents delirium. And if you look in the index to diseases, notice that R41, which is a chapter 18 symptom code, is the term for, for uh, the code for delirium. However, notice that down below that there is a due to, not with. It cannot be with or coexisting. The doctor has to explicitly state the term due to. And we see alcohol, we see amphetamines, we see various types of mood-altering drugs. Um, notice that general medical conditions goes to FO5. We'll go to that in a minute. Next slide. Next slide. And then notice that, uh, you know, there's, these can be uh, intoxication and abuse or dependence or withdrawal, 
you know, these sorts of things. But notice that the term other, this is where I think the term drug-induced delirium comes in, in that uh, most of the substances that we see here tend to be the psychoactive substances, the drugs of abuse, the opioids, the whatevers that we see. But ICD-10, interestingly enough, puts other or unknown substance in F19.921. So go to the next slide. Uh, this becomes an interesting conundrum because F19.921, the title of it is psychoactive substance or other or unknown substance delus del delirium. But there's many substances that are not known to be psychoactive cancer chemotherapy, amantadine, and such. But nevertheless, we, they can cross the blood-brain barrier. They can cause a diffuse brain dysfunction, okay? And that's, to me, where the term encephalopathy or comes into this. So next slide. I'm of the personal opinion that, the, that in, in, the, in the coding system, we see FO5, the delirium due to a known physiologic condition. Notice the code first instruction. Next slide. And the um, and what's the underlying physical uh, physiologic condition? This is where the term toxic encephalopathy comes in. So the delirium is the manifestation of the illness. The the toxic encephalopathy is the underlying cause. And both should be reported because different toxic encephalopathies can have different manifestations. Some will present with delirium. Some will present with psychosis. Some may even present with a dementing uh, type illness or some cerebellar type manifestations. Not every manifestation of a toxic encephalopathy is a delirium. And the only way that uh, the coding system can reflect that is when the physician uh, documents it, we code it, and to my understanding, there is no excludes two, there's no excludes one note, you know, as it relates to the term delirium or the term toxic encephalopathy. I would even suggest that if we look at the next slide, we're encouraged uh, to use uh, the F codes, <clears throat> particularly if it's related to the um, to overdosing. Uh, notice that the uh, if we notice the um, uh, under G92 the code toxic encephalopathy. Notice that there's a code first note if applicable, uh, a drug induced uh, type issue that goes with um, adverse effects or a T51 to T65 code. And notice under T51.0, toxic effect of alcohol, it, there's an excludes one note that are these different F codes, not an excludes, I mean, there's an excludes two note, not an excludes one note. My understanding is that an excludes two is a don't forget me note, not classified here, not included here. So, uh, patients' brains can be poisoned, or they're you know from alcohol. Uh, certainly, college kids that binge drink uh, can have this toxic effect, and the manifestation could either be a delirium, uh, 
uh, stupor, even coma uh, that can lead to death. So my belief is that the, you know, that all of this all intertwines with each other. And I would say that if I was trying to defend this, uh, you know, what your writer was writing, I would just point to, you know, the guidelines that there's no prohibition and for the auditor to make a clinical assumption that the delirium was integral to uh, the adverse effect of a medication or morphine or whatever uh, is they're practicing medicine without a license. Uh, they're not involved with the direct patient care. And uh, to me, that would be problematic. Sean, what mm -hmm. do you think of that? Am I thinking correctly on that? Or how would you <laughs> handle that in this situation? No, I'm listening to you and agreeing with and learning a lot from what you're just saying right now. So um, I'm with you. Yep. And if we go to the next slide, there's a, this is in the coding clinic. I mean, um, you know, here's a patient who was in, you know, who has probably a chronic dementia. Uh, coding clinic, first quarter 2017, page 39 you know, talked about there probably was some sort of altered mental status. Again, coding clinic doesn't always help us. They don't always fully describe uh, what the presentation was, but the doctor wrote very clearly, toxic encephalopathy due to Cipro. And Cipro is like Leviquin or any fluoroquinolone that can cause an altered mental status of which the underlying cause is a diffuse brain dysfunction due to a medication otherwise known as a toxic encephalopathy. Notice that the patient doesn't have to be poisoned uh, in this. This is just an adverse effect. In coding mm -hmm. clinic, it makes it very clear, you know, that if the doctor writes it, you code it. Uh, and for clinical, you know, a clinical validation to say that that's not the case, uh, I, I just, I just, it's just wrong. And, right. and the next one, and the next one, if we look at the next slide, now this is a patient who was actually poisoned, you know, took an overdose. You know, um, I did not uh, write the whole question in here, but the, the, the documentation was toxic encephalopathy due to a lithium overdose. The coding clinic advised to code you know, the poisoning code and to add the toxic encephalopathy a second. I mean, if somebody's over, if somebody's overloaded with alcohol, we say that they're intoxicated, right? So toxic, toxic encephalopathy, um, all interacts with each other. So I don't know if I answered your question, you know, your reader's question, Brian, but I think that, <clears throat> you know, the, if the doctor documents a manifestation, which can be an F code or an or a R code, okay? It is presumptuous to say that that manifestation is integral to toxic encephalopathy. In fact, if anything, mm -hmm. I would probably uh, take the position that the underlying cause is more important than the manifestation. Uh, right. If they want to go down that path, uh, the brain disease I mean, if I had a nephropathy, you know, the patient would have some sort of albumin, you know, 
albuminuria or proteinuria. Well, you want to know what the manifestation of it is. Now, yeah. what do you think your what do you think your Brian? What do you think your readers trying to get at? Um, no, I I know she she really was wondering about G ninety two versus the F eleven, and and it, it sounds like you know th there is additional work to be done when there's a manifestation uh, documented, but you know get, given a good query process, yeah. a compliant process, you can get to that right to that encephalopathy code appropriately. So, well, the um, difference see the brain is diffuse. The, the brain is diffuse. Not every encephalopathy looks the same, okay? Some may yeah. be psychotic, some may be delirious, some may be vegetative, some may be whatever. So the only way you're gonna know how that encephalopathy manifested itself is the specificity of the code, uh, the, uh, the yeah. either the F code or the, uh, and, and if we go back a little bit, if we go back, if we go back, um, let me see here. If we go back to slide 11, slide 11, notice that the FO5 code, you know, these various altered mental statuses, they make it very clear that the delirium is the manifestation. What's the underlying condition? So they, in fact, are saying use two codes, you know, at the same time. And and I think that that's probably the best argument now. Some auditor that doesn't want to pay a claim, who's getting 10% of everything they find is not going to agree with you. And perhaps this may require legal action. So that's what I'm thinking, Brian. What do you want? What do you yeah. think we ought to, where do you think we ought to go with well, this? Well, <laughs> you did such a great job answering the question and walking through the, the logic and, uh, and the, the references that were, were tight on time here obviously we could do we could do two hours on this topic maybe we could just briefly before we move on to the um, poll question and some final actus updates um, talk just about you know part of the question I pulled out um, was this person had concerns um, that CDI staff or coders in combination can be can overreach for this diagnosis when something it's just a normal effect of a drug such as a narcotic. You know, obviously this has become a, a target and maybe that's why we're seeing more auditors attention to it and maybe some justified downgrades in some instances. So any, anything you have for those well, types of things, maybe the, for- The overreach. issue has to do is whether it's significant or insignificant. Uh, coding clinic is very clear that insignificant conditions that don't meet the definition of an additional diagnosis, uh, you know, are not to be coded, okay? Like an insignificant um, atelectasis that occurs, you know, after surgery, or an insignificant, uh, you know, uh, cirrhosal tear, you know, and the definition of a complication. But again, uh, judges, um, coders are still stuck. You know, if a doctor documents something, they code it. And whether it's mm -hmm. significant or not, the better, I think, the query has to say, was this significant, was it insignificant? You're right, you can get a little woozy. You know, it's an adverse effect of, of morphine. But that doesn't mean that it necessarily impacted uh, length of stay, treatment, you know, whatever. And 
Yeah. And we're always going to have these battles of interpretation, particularly as it relates to, um, you know, CCs and CCs and risk adjustment. The better documentation, right. again, goes to the MUSIC algorithm that I defined at the beginning and whether or not the condition was significant or not. And that, I think, will be a judgment call. Yep. Dr. Kennedy, why do you think this still is such an issue? My dialing for dollars. It's about money. Okay. It, yeah. it, uh, providers want to be paid. Payers don't want to pay. Clear as that. Um, it's, uh, there's always going to be a tension and a tug of war in this, which is why I still have to say to everybody, if you have questions like this, Actus Radio is certainly, we want to, I would say Actus Radio is a great place to send your question, but also send your case to the Coding Clinic Advisor, codingclinicadvisor.com. You can get an official answer uh, from the central office and the and then that official answer that you get from the central office can be used in your in fighting your appeal filing your appeals yeah. great point there yes thank you for including point. that <laughs> and a great point to close on there you know I, I do want to get to our poll related to today's topic which will, which be interesting and maybe shed a little more light on on the topic again, we did ask folks, "What's your facility's biggest problem regarding encephalopathy?" Um, so we had 56, excuse me, 54 percent physicians not documenting its presence with specificity. 22 percent lack of a consensus definition of the types. 14 percent determining whether its manifestations were integral. Uh, Five percent disagreements in code assignment or sequencing. Four percent don't have any issues. Um, I did want to mention those align almost exactly with what we talked about. The poll question we asked in uh, July 2016. So just by way of comparison, the July 2016 poll had the top answer same and at 56 percent. So probably a statistical, you know, statistically insignificant there. I would guess it's about the same. We also had exactly a 22% from 2016 saying a lack of consensus definition that remains exactly the same. 12% uh, said it was determining whether its manifestations were integral, so up to 14. The only thing that may have gone down slightly is the code assignment. So we had 8% in July 2016 mentioning disagreements in code assignments. We're now down to 5%. Again, small number, but uh, worth mentioning. So any any thoughts there from you, Dr. Kennedy or Sharm, um, on the poll poll results today, and maybe any any surprises or not? Dr. Well, Kennedy, I mean, I'll let you go first. Yeah, yeah this this is uh, you know the word in, the word encephalopathy is you know is just like encephalo means brain, pathy means disease of. You know, uh, it's not like we have a National Encephalopathy Society like we do the American Heart Association. Um, right. There's not a big advocacy of this. And the DSM-5 does not address the term encephalopathy. Uh, the neurology text, even, it's hard to find a definition of encephalopathy in Adams and Victor. Uh, they use the word, but they don't define it. So that's why I like the NIH definition. 
you know that was there. Uh, again, it's a diffuse brain disease. Um, it's a diffuse brain disease, which uh, if it has a name like Alzheimer's disease or Lewy body dementia or whatever, then that or cerebral edema, the term encephalopathy is integral to that. And if I could just say one thing, doctors, we in CDI should never, ever, ever code the term encephalopathy unspecified without a query, without a query of at least trying to get the underlying cause. Because it's the encephalopathy that's unspecified, uh, encephalopathy that I think causes compliance risk. Encephalopathy mm. and altered mental status are not the same thing. The altered mental status, or whatever it is, is the manifestation. The encephalopathy is the brain disease. Okay. John, what do you think? Good point. No, I agree with what you're saying, and hopefully people will take a look at the slides, and hopefully uh, with an inpatient CDI department, those queries are being sent out to get the specificity. Um, yeah. I'm a little disappointed in the results. I thought actually that we were doing a little bit better with it, but I'm still surprised at how often this comes up in class that there's an issue. So it's one of those things that always seems to be people are searching for these definitions to use. So. Mm -hmm. Hopefully this will help. I'll do. I do appreciate it, Dr. Kennedy. All your expertise today. Um, we will be sharing these slides in the show notes from the program. So if you're looking for those slides, we will post a PDF afterwards. And I do appreciate. We we got a number of questions during the show that we obviously couldn't get to, but those could serve as a basis for a future show. Um, perhaps Dr. Kennedy might answer one or two after the program as well. But really appreciate. Um, all the input on this important topic. We're almost at the close of the show. I did just want to um, conclude with a brief ACTUS update, uh, letting folks know that um, normally we're doing in the news here. I've skipped over that. We, we knew we had a, a heavy duty topic today to get into, but I did just want to mention, and you can see right here on your screen, um, the oh, we currently have an opening for the uh, ACTUS Advisory Board. Of course, I clicked the wrong link myself here. User error, just a, just a moment here, folks. I'm uh, loading the, the screen, but just while we're waiting, the ACTUS Advisory Board, um, as you know, is a 12-member board that provides guidance, industry um, oversight, develops guidance for the CDI profession, helps with um, ACTUS planning and, and CDI, uh, our CDI offerings and, and education. And we currently have four openings on the board. We do this every year. We have four new board members join and four rotate off the board. So you can see at, right on the main ACTUS website, actus.org, we have a, um, an article that tells you how to apply. This year we're looking for two RN credential candidates, uh, one HIM coding credential candidate and one physician credential candidate, MD, to run for the board. We try to keep it multidisciplinary in different backgrounds. Um, you can read a little more about what we're looking for here. Um, the term of service, and then if you'd like to go ahead and volunteer, there is a link to the application form. I'll just briefly click that. You can see what we ask. Um, I kind of recommend reviewing this, maybe writing down your answers in advance, and then plugging them in in case you time out or you have a computer glitch and you don't want to lose your work. We do ask some fairly substantive questions to uh, uh, to determine we have the best candidate. So again, if once you apply, we'll 
review those um, qualifications. We will have some members of our current board, um, along with one of our local chapter leaders, uh, perform a preliminary review and make sure these candidates are qualified and then we'll put that before the membership for a final vote. So the final, the member, Arrakis membership determines our final board members, but we provide you with uh, the, the, the best and most qualified candidates. So if you're thinking of this, please check it out. Uh, we do have links to qualifications um, and so forth. I can answer any questions you might have as well about board service. So think about it. Uh, and before we wrap up today, just one of you probably saw on our slides that uh, we're now are open uh, for the ACTUS conference registration. We're going to be uh, posting the full brochure that'll be out very soon, the print brochure, and up as well as up on the website so you can see the entire agenda. We're going to have a new track this year, sixth track dedicated to pediatrics. We have some great um, keynote and general session speakers. We've added a new optional. Um, final night uh, ACTUS Achievement Awards reception. So check it out and uh, hope you can make it and hope to see you in San Antonio in May. And that is going to do it for today's show. We'll see you back here in two weeks. We're having a case study of a CN apartment that had to do a full restart. So interesting case study on how to, how to do this. Um, maybe you find yourself in the same boat or maybe you're just interested to listen in on some areas you might be struggling with. Uh, we'll bring you that in two weeks. And that will do it. Again, I wanted to thank Dr. Kennedy and Sharon for joining us today. And we'll go ahead and wrap up. But uh, take care, everyone. We'll see you back here again in two weeks.